Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including house churches, gathering times, and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Brian Candelo. I recently read an article where a bishop was asked how he had persevered in ministry for many years, actually decades of ministry. And the person writing the article kind of admitted to jumping ahead to this kind of glowing response of what the answer was going to be, such as um, for the glory of God or for the love of my sheep or it was my deep prayer life. My wonderful family, and as I was reading this article, I also kind of jumped ahead in my mind thinking about things that allow us to persevere in ministry and encouraging staff and encouraging congregation, good people to work with, a lead pastor that doesn't throw you under the bus from the platform all the time. Those are the things that allow us to continue forward. But the bishop paused for a moment, and he looked down, and then he responded with this. I have an infinite capacity for disappointment. Not a very inspiring phrase. Not exactly what I was hoping to read, and yet that phrase has been rattling around in my brain for quite a while now. And I wonder if that was just weariness talking or if that was wisdom. Is this something that we should pursue or just push away? An infinite capacity for disappointment. Now, this is usually the part of the service where I would make a joke about Beaver fans excelling in this regard. (laughs) Would never do that to you. But we've all had things to be disappointed about, cancellations and closures and changes and strained and broken relationships with our family and with our friends and illness and unanswered prayer and things going on here at church and finances. And we just feel stuck in so many ways. We're not as far along as we think we should be. I think this cartoon kind of sums up how we're feeling. We just keep getting pelted with lemons. How much lemonade can we make? It's too much sometimes. An infinite capacity for disappointment. The word disappointment comes from 14th century French. It means the undoing of an appointment. It's this idea of, I thought this was going to take place, and it didn't. I thought this was going to happen, and it didn't. And that's what this bishop is saying. I can weather these things. What about us? Where do we find life and joy in this season? How do we not let disappointment sink into despair? How are we like Paul when he writes in 2 Corinthians 4, pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, hunted down but not abandoned, knocked down but not destroyed? The pastor and author Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes about what he calls godly optimism. It's that same thought as this bishop. Bonhoeffer was writing about hopefulness. He was writing about joy. And and he admits pessimism is more sensible. It's more sensible to be a pessimist. But pessimism is in large part just resignation. And so he writes optimism, godly optimism, is an aggressive posture because it refuses to let its opponent lay claim to the future. 
So how do we live with this aggressively joyful posture in a world that continues to push back against it? How do we live with life and joy so that we can have an infinite capacity for disappointment? Because there is something that can sustain us. There is a deep well that we can draw upon. And that's what we're going to talk about here this morning. We're going to talk about this idea that life and joy come from connection to the true vine. Life and joy come from connection to the true vine. We're continuing on in our series, Crave. We're talking about the seven I am statements from the book of John. This is just Jesus according to Jesus. And these seven statements are answers to seven deep longings that we have in our lives, things that we crave. And we crave life and vitality and joy. And so Jesus is going to answer it with a statement we'll find in John chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now, Jesus is working with pictures and ideas that were part of the religious heritage of the Jewish nation. Over and over again in the Old Testament, Israel is pictured as a vine. Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Hosea and the Psalms all liken Israel to a vine. And so the vine then became the symbol for them. It became a symbol that they readily recognized. It was on some of their currency. There was a golden vine above the door as you entered the holy place in the temple. But here's the thing. All of those Old Testament references that likened Israel to a vine aren't in the positive. It's never actually used in the Old Testament apart from the idea of decline, decay, or regression. It's about a vine that is out of control. You see, the Israelites thought that because they were connected to God's chosen people, that they were connected to the true vine. Just the same way sometimes we think that we're connected to things that give us life or draw us closer to God or we're connected to church or a family and so we think that we're good to go. So Jesus steps on the scene and he says, no, 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 no. I am the true vine. And it's all about a connection with me. The same way that he said, I'm the true light, not the lights of the temple, or I'm the true bread, not manna, or I'm the true shepherd, not the religious leaders. And so we're going to see that as we read John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. We see this recurring word in this passage, remain. It just means to abide, to continue, to endure. Because branches on a vine are not independent or self-centered. You see, the only source of life they have is their complete and continuous connection to the vine. We need to remain connected to Jesus if we want to have life, if we want to have joy. We can't be disconnected. And it's not just a one-time experience that sustains us. You don't purchase a TV, take it home, plug it into the wall for an hour, and then you could unplug it and it's good to go forever. It's not built that way. And quite frankly, neither are we. If we remain disconnected, we can't live how we were created to live. 
When my wife and I moved to Oregon from Atlanta, we had a great group of church people help us unload the moving truck. And at a certain point, I noticed that the laughter had turned to quiet. As they were unloading something into our garage, they confronted me on what they called a sin pattern in my life. Now, I'm far enough away from it that I can talk about it freely. But the problem was, I had an artificial Christmas tree. That was the problem. And they were like, don't you know where you are? This is sacrilege. And so my wife and I wanted to contextualize. So we put that aside because they were like, you have to get a real tree. So we did the process. And you go out into the woods and you cut something down and you bring it home and you decorate it and you put lights on it. And it looks great. It looks so much better than it actually did in the woods. But just give it a month or so, right? And then you're always cleaning up after this. It isn't going to last because it's not connected to the source. No matter how much you decorate it, it's dead. The artificial tree looks better for the longer term, but if it's not connected to the source, it's still dead. The only way we can find true life, true joy, is being connected because it makes us softer and not harder, more generous and not selfish, wiser, not foolish, fruitful, not barren, joyful, not despairing. God wants us to be connected. He longs for that connection. I love the picture that we had this morning of baptisms as people are making a declaration of their lifetime commitment to this connection. Let's continue reading in verse 9. Jesus says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. Let's look at verse 11 one more time. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. We find joy in connection. Just a refresher about what joy is. Joy is not happiness. Happiness is dependent upon circumstances. Joy is independent of circumstances. So joy, biblically, is an understanding of the grace and favor of God. Literally, it's an understanding that God is inclined towards us, that he is leaning towards us, that as we follow him, our futures are secure. And so joy is not a feeling. Joy is not an emotion. It's a response. It's a posture. It's a... It's just an act of protest. It's aggressive resistance. It's what allows us to live with infinite disappointments. And Jesus says, when you remain in me, your joy will overflow. Your joy will be complete, will be filled up to the level that when we bump into other people, it will spill all over them. I've told you these things so that you will remain and then you will be joyful. And so my question is, what are are these things that allow us to do that. Because I believe we have a whole lot of other false vines that we can plug into, a whole lot of false things that we can be connected to as we seek to find life, as we seek to find joy, but we want to remain in Jesus. And so I want to talk about three things that will help us remain and find joy. There's a bunch in this passage, but just think of this as kind of a three-prong adapter approach to staying plugged in. 
And the first we find in verse 2, it's this idea of pruning. You see, we can plug into the false vine of self-sufficiency. We, we can build our lives with things that we think will give us life and joy, such as our, our careers or our retirement funds or our relationships or just get a whole bunch of stuff or have a whole bunch of really great hobbies. And this is the idea that I know what's best for me. And so I'm going to build my life with these things. But we need to embrace the idea of pruning. You see, the gardener's trying to get the very best out of the vine, and so he cuts it back because pruning stimulates growth and productivity. Things must go. And this is a scary truth. And you can think, well, how, how in the world does cutting things out of my life bring more life and joy? This is a scary picture. I mean, here's a, here's a picture of what summer pruning is, and those things are all alive. There's things that are getting cut off that are alive, but the skillful gardener doesn't make random cuts. He only makes cuts that protect and develop, not destroy. One author puts it this way. There's nothing cut off that is not a gain to lose and a loss to keep. You see, it's our gain to get pruned. It's our gain to lose some of these things. If we kept them around, it would be to our detriment. Just as gold goes through a fire to be purified, just as a coach works out an athlete and says one more lap, as parents, we prune, we train up, we disciple, we cut things back, and the children think their life is over and hold us personally responsible. My oldest daughter, when she was in middle school, wrestled with the pruning process. She would walk around and say things like, well, apparently this isn't a free country. <clears throat> and why did you have kids if you hate them? And then she would always say, I didn't ask to be born, as if she was pushing that back on us. And after one difficult time of pruning, I, I said, well, I'm so sorry. Have a nice day. And she said, not going to happen because you make me angry. And we understand pruning what it involves our children because we know that children don't have enough experience or perspective. But then we think as adults, oh, I certainly have gained enough experience and perspective. I know what's best for me. I know what to build around my life. I can be self-sufficient, but we need to trust the skillful gardener as he prunes us. And it's not just distractions or unproductive activities that need pruning. There's good things as well. I think oftentimes, for me, it's, it's ministry things. When I get asked to serve on a committee or speak somewhere or serve somewhere else, and I think, oh, these are good things because they make me feel important and they make me feel needed. But I know that oftentimes they can be distractions to what God is really calling me to. Because sometimes the enemy of the great is the good. And there's good things in our lives that need to go. And so we need pruning. We need pruning because it gets at the root of things in our lives. It gets at the motivations. It gets at our pride. And we will find life and joy in the pruning process because pruning produces fruit that brings glory to God the Father. You see, the way to tell a person who has a vital connection to the vine is that they will be fruitful as a result of pruning. The second thing we see is obedience. Verse 10 talks about obedience. And there's two ways that we can approach obedience. The first is the mechanical approach. And this is plugging into the false vine of self-righteousness. 
This is religiosity. This is obedience without connection. And this approach is just characterized by busyness for Jesus. It's a frenetic lifestyle and not a friendship. It's keeping a list or a ledger and knowing that, okay, there's a bunch of commandments in the Bible, so I'm just going to write them out. I'm going to check them off. I'm going to do these things. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to serve people. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read my Bible. And oftentimes, the mechanical approach reads the Bible more like a lawyer looking for loopholes rather than the life-giving word of God. But you're doing all these things because you know that there's a list and you're going to earn all these Bible bucks so that one day you can turn in your Bible bucks to God and be like, okay, right, now you love me. Now, now you owe me. That's the mechanical approach, trying to earn the love of God rather than experience it, working for God's favor rather than from God's favor. But here's what we find long term with the mechanical approach. Obedience without connection to the true vine doesn't really change us that much. It doesn't make us more loving. It doesn't make us more joyful. It doesn't give more life because the false vine of self-righteousness doesn't have those things to offer. What it does have to offer, it has burnout. It has frustration to offer us. It promises a lot at the beginning, but it ends badly. The proper approach is the organic approach, the same way that we just read an organic illustration where we find joy in beauty in obedience because we're connected to Jesus, Jesus who's our substitute and savior. We don't need to save ourselves. We don't need to earn his love. He loves us with an everlasting love. And this changes the nature of obedience. It isn't joyless, but it's rather the path to life and joy. It's obedience from not for God's favor. It's Psalm 1 where it says, oh, the joy of somebody who's walking the right path. Oh, the joy of someone who delights in God's commands, in God's word. It's just this obedience out of a deep connection. It isn't, what do you want now, God? You ever call your kids and they're like, what? <laughs> I always tell my kids, oh, well, I wanted to give you money, but because you responded that way, I'm so sorry. Right? Obedience out of love, it's not mechanical, it's organic. Duty becomes choice. Our obedience becomes this gift that we joyfully give to God. You see, the way to tell a person who has a vital connection to the vine is that they're growing in their organic obedience. And lastly, verse 12 tells us that we need to love one another. Another way to stay connected. Another way to life and joy is to love others. We can plug into the false vine of self-centeredness. We can worship the me monster. And society has given us a bunch of tools to do just that, a bunch of tools to point to us, a bunch of things that we can do so that our lives are the center of the universe. But has that made us more joyful? Has that made us more alive? We're called to love others the same way we're loved by Jesus, completely and sacrificially. And how can Jesus ask this of us? Because he demonstrated the greatest love of all for us. He carried our sin and our shame. He was cut off so that we would only get cut back. You see, he gives us a commandment in which he leads the way. We're not to compete with one another, belittle or trivialize one another, dismiss one another, always be pre-offended with one another. We're not to use other people. We are to love as we are loved. And in this passage in verse 14, Jesus tells us that. 
He says, I love you. As a matter of fact, you're no longer slaves. You're friends. And the kind of the root of that term in scripture is this idea of being a friend of the king. It's based in the customs of Roman emperors or Eastern kings. There was a group called the Friends of the King. And they had just an all-access pass to that king day or night. And the king would go to them before they would go to their generals or their statesmen. It was a group of people that had the highest access. It was the most intimate relationship that they could have. You see, we don't just glimpse God in passing, but we have access to his presence. So let me ask you this question. Has this past year made you more loving or less loving? And maybe that's a question that is better asked to your spouse. Maybe you'll get a more real answer. Or a very close friend, or your parents, or your children. Because I think that reveals what we've been connected to in this past year. Are we more or less loving? My daughter, Grace, the one who wrestled in middle school, let me redeem that story a little bit. She called me just a couple of weeks ago and she said, Dad, I finally figured out the kinds of prayers that God answers. And I was just very attentive in this moment. I was like, please, yes, explain this to me. I want to know. And she said, for the past several weeks, I've been praying, God, please give me somebody to love. Please give me somebody to serve. Please give me somebody that will inconvenience me so that I can go out of my way to bless them. And every time I pray that, God answers. Every time I pray, God, can, is there someone out there that I can just show your love to? God's like, yep, here they are. And she always knows. And she's like, that's the kind of prayer God answers. And so I'm praying those prayers. And of course, my dad heart was like, Phew. it was just one of those great things, right? Hang in there, middle school parents. Are we more or less loving? The way to tell a person who has a vital connection to the vine is that they will be growing in love. And I love that these things, this pruning process, obedience and love are all about a bigger God and a smaller me. And, and they're counterintuitive in so many ways. They don't seem like immediately that those are the things that would bring us life and joy. But these are the things. This is how we can have an infinite capacity for disappointment. Life and joy come from our connection to the true vine. And we want to grow in those things. But maybe even before we talk about pruning and obedience and love, we have to figure out what we're truly connected to. And I would say that that's something we need to ask ourselves. What am I most connected to? Because maybe we're trying to get life from something that's ultimately lifeless or we're seeking life from something other than the true vine. And here's just some questions that you can ask yourself. This will help you get to the root of what it is that you're connected to. Where do I spend my time? Where do I spend my money? Where do I get my joy? What is always on my mind? And what things start arising from those questions? And are they things that will enslave you or things that will give you freedom? Are they things that need pruned in your life? Or are you like, oh, yeah, these are things that I can continue to lean into? What am I most connected to? Another way that we can grow in this area of remaining connected to the vine is in another couple months, Laura's going to lead us in a Recognizing God's Voice conference. It's going to be on a weekend. It's a great time to just 
hear from God and to learn how to hear from God and to learn about God languages and how we best connect. And you can go online and you can register for that. And that would be a great next step for you. And lastly, I think one more thing as a continual reminder of this vital relationship is maybe you just plant a vine. Maybe in your yard, you plant a vine as a reminder. Now, if you're renting a house, you live in an apartment, probably not going to work for you. Maybe you put up a picture of a vine or you change your phone screen to have a picture of a vine or you get a tattoo of a vine if you're of age and your parents say it's okay. Because our vital connection to Jesus as the vine is what gives us life and joy. You see, I believe God is pruning us to make us more fruitful. And I believe he's calling us into situations where we're going to have to be much more loving, much more obedient, much more joyful than we ever thought of being. I believe Salem Alliance will be known more and more as a place full of life and joy, a place that has an infinite capacity for disappointment because we are completely and continuously connected to the vine. And I believe that this will point more and more people to Jesus because we cannot manufacture this on our own. And I believe God will continue to use you. He will continue to use us to be fruitful and allow Salem to be a city at peace with God. Amen? Amen. In closing, I just want to remind you that we have opportunities for you to lean in even today. We have a cross here. We always say the cross is open, like open for business, I guess. But what people at the cross after the service that would love to pray with you. And maybe you feel like I am not connected to a source of life. I'm connected. I'm plugged into all the wrong things. Today's your day. Today's your day to begin a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you have questions about what that means. We'll have people by the cross after the service that would love to just talk and pray with you. Or maybe you came in with a heavy heart and you want someone to pray about something specifically. There'll be people on this side of the platform that would love to do that. Talk to your house church leader. It'd be a great opportunity to make those connections. Would you stand with me in closing to receive this benediction? And, and there's something important about posture. I, I think false vine posture is clenched fists, and I think true vine posture is this receiving. So would you receive this benediction? May God continue to strengthen your connection to the true vine. May God increase your wisdom and trust as you grow in times of pruning. May you have joy in knowing you do not have to manufacture the strength and substance you need to be fruitful, that it comes from connection to the vine. And may you go out in love and obedience and bear lasting fruit in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.